Inspired Living podcast where we talk all things business and personal development related, totally unfiltered. I'm your host, Meg Caston, and I'm here to help you create a sustainable, heart-centered business serving the higher good of others and to help you share your message in a big, big way. Join me as I interview amazing women who are sharing their message and making their mark on the world. Are you ready? Welcome once again to Inspired Living. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Inspired Living. And Amy and I connected a couple of months back, and I was volunteering at a women's empowerment symposium, and Amy was speaking. And for those of you who don't know, I have journeyed through, and I'm on my journey with sobriety, and Amy was one of the speakers there, and I just found her so captivating because what she was saying resonated with me so deeply. She was speaking from a place of such authenticity that I immediately connected to her and to her words and knew I wanted to connect with her after the event. So Amy and I chatted and I later learned that she is a sobriety and mindset coach. So I really wanted to have her on today and speak with everyone who knows someone or who is personally on their own journey with sobriety, who is thinking about it, who maybe has some questions or would just like to know a little bit more. So Amy Willis is a sobriety mindset coach, as I said, who supports women struggling with their relationship to drinking and who are looking to enter and sustain sobriety. And while designing lives, they don't want to escape from. So she helps with that. And she's just had so much success with her own clients. Amy co-creates change in her clients' lives by working on mindset transformation, habit change, and resilience building. Amy seeks to create an environment that empowers her clients not only by supporting them in creating change, but also through teaching powerful, simple, and effective tools that can be put to use immediately. In addition to being a dual certified coach, Amy is also a certified meditation teacher and a certified EFT. And for those who are not familiar with the acronym, Emotional Freedom Technique, practitioner and brings these modalities to her coaching practice. And when Amy isn't working, she's likely reading, moving her body, spending time with friends, planning her next trip or drinking coffee with her cat captain. Amy calls Toronto home and works with clients globally. So she's able to access everyone. If you're listening in from across the sea or south of the border, she is there to help support you. So I want to welcome you today, Amy. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat with me and just to share some of what you teach and and what you know with our listeners. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, Megan. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, so excited to have you here. So I mentioned earlier that you and I had connected a few, a few months back. It was January or February, I think. Um, so I've had a little bit of time to get to know you and to get to know your journey. But I'd love if you could share with our listeners what your personal journey has been and sort of what brought you to be a sobriety and mindset coach today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, a lot of things brought me to where I am today, but there have been, I would say, a few moments um, in my life that have sort of really acted as a moment of pivot and really catapulted me to where where I am and, and the work that I do. So 
from a personal perspective, I struggled with alcohol addiction um, for about 15 years. And um, I also grew up in a home with a father who struggled with alcohol addiction. And ultimately, we lost him to that addiction. So his passing and sort of um, being a witness to what it looks like when addiction kind of takes over, I guess you could say, um, that 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 experience in my life really, really impacted me, as you can imagine. Um, So his his death was really a turning point and a catalyst to me getting sober. Um, It took me about two years or so after he died for me to actually enter and and remain sober. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really do think that that experience and witnessing that and and seeing um, how deadly addiction can be really changed my life path and my own experiences with drinking. And I think prior to that, I had tried to start getting sober off and on for a while. And there was just something in me that I knew I was meant for more than the life that I was living. I knew that I was meant for more than drinking my face off and spending all my time being hungover. I I knew that there was something in me that had a larger and greater purpose than basically diluting myself and keeping myself numb and watered down and distracted by drinking. And it wasn't until I really stepped into my sobriety where I understood that what what that actually was and what that actually meant in terms of creativity and purpose and doing something that actually has an impact for other people. And that sort of is you know, part of the journey of me getting to where I am now and and being a sobriety coach. Mm -hmm. Wow. And first of all, I mean, so sorry to hear about your dad's passing. And I can only, I I can't even imagine, you know, what trauma, you know, or what um, emotions and that kind of stuff have been brought up because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was rough. It was rough. But also, probably one of the greatest gifts I've ever experienced in my life. Like I, I know that if my dad was still alive, I for sure would still be drinking. Mm-hmm. And, and so everything else that's amazing in my life right now that was made possible to me through sobriety would not exist. Like I know that for sure. So. And that's interesting, isn't it? Like I know for me, mm-hmm. you know, a few things have happened in my life and I think back to, to certain events or things that, you know, things that happen. And I think, I know if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be where I am now. Yeah. Like you just know for sure. Mm-hmm. It's almost like sometimes it takes, um, you know, and, and you obviously might find this with some of the clients that you work with, but sometimes it takes some sort of huge event or big life shift or something dramatic in order for them to kind of step into their own light and say, okay, this is enough. Mm-hmm. 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 And one of the other things I was thinking of when you had mentioned that, you know, you came from a household where your dad, um, you know, did struggle with, with addiction to alcohol. Do you, does anyone you ever work with, like, do you think anyone ever has a mindset? Well, you know, I drink because one of my parents drank or one of, you know, the people in my household drank. So it's almost like genetic. So they might use that as, 
I don't want to say in as, a, as an excuse, but a, as a way to maybe justify some of the drinking that they're doing, if they are perhaps in a bit of denial. Um, I mean, in my experiences with my clients, it hasn't, it hasn't come up too much. I mean, I think it's, I think it's more about context. Like lots, there are lots of different factors that contribute to whether or not someone is more susceptible to developing an addiction and genetics is part of that. And also environment and, and surroundings are part of that. Um, so I don't know if it's as much about, um, reasoning for why they're still doing it, but more of a factor that points to increased vulnerability. And I know that, you know, it's very challenging for lots of folks um, to be in environments where they're trying to quit drinking and everyone around them still seems to be. So, yeah. It's a challenge. And everybody's, you know, path is different, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, so one of the things that I would love to chat about is the mindset work that you do with your clients. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just speak from my own personal experience, but, you know, when I made that decision, it was a shift in mindset, you know, it was a shift in putting certain things into perspective. So I'd love to know how important is mindset in relation to someone's sobriety journey? Oh, goodness. This is one of my favorite topics. Um, I, I personally think that mindset is absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. Um, so, you know, we've kind of touched on it already. But, you know, for me, um, one of the shifts in turn, and I've already mentioned this, was that I, I believed that there was more to my life than what I was currently doing with it, that I was intended to do more than drink every day and be hungover, you know, for the rest of the day or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, so yes, absolutely. Mindset is important. Um, and it really comes down to beliefs, right? What do we believe is true? And how do those beliefs inform our actions, our habits, our behaviors, how we show up? So for example, one of the um, pieces of feedback I receive from clients and, and people who drink or struggle with drinking more broadly is they can't imagine having fun in the absence of booze. So I don't know if you've heard this one as well. Um, I get it a lot. But um, and, you know, really, that is just about beliefs, right? That is a belief that in order to have fun, booze has to be involved. And, you know, I always gently push back on that. I push back on lots of beliefs, right? Because there's nothing about that that is fundamentally true. Um, the fun comes from us. The fun comes from our interactions with other people. Yes, of course, booze um, removes some of our inhibitions, but right. that that doesn't inherently make things more fun, right? It actually, like, drinking actually slows our brains down. It it slows our speech down. It you know kind of cognitively makes us a little bit dumber. Um, so I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like fun to me. So it really is just about challenging those beliefs and challenging the, the mindset piece and really doing the work to let go of some of those beliefs that are no longer serving us. So for example, one of the beliefs that I held on to 
And one of the reasons that I was drinking for as long as I was, was that I didn't believe that I could handle the really challenging feelings that went along with my dad's dying. I didn't believe that I could manage it. I thought it was too intense. I thought it was going to break me. And so instead of dealing with those feelings, I chose to drink and I chose to create relief for myself in those moments of intense emotional experience. And through sobriety, I've learned that I can handle any hard feeling that comes up. Mm -hmm. And that is a shift in mindset, right? Nothing about me has changed other than what I choose to believe about myself and my capacity. And so mindset work really is crucial when you're thinking about creating change around alcohol, because it's one thing to stop drinking, but if you still carry all the beliefs that you previously did about booze, about you, about your relationship to drinking, about what you believe it does in your life, then it's always going to feel like a struggle. And so the work that I do with my clients is really about bringing themselves into alignment with their beliefs so that their actions and their life lives are a reflection of those beliefs. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's so incredible to hear because, you know, I, I just, I fully, fully believe that. And one of the things that I found so amazing, you know, when I shifted my mindset, it's like you said, who you are doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's almost like, you know, after I decided to take the step away, it's like I was introduced to this whole new person Mm -hmm. who had always been clouded or maybe once in a while, you know, if I kind of thought about stopping or if I just had some sort of empowering moment, you know, as a result of whatever I was doing or something happened, I'd get a glimpse of her, Mm -hmm. but I never knew her. Yeah. And then once, you know, my body physically cleared, once my mind cleared, and once I changed that mindset, like you say, to, you know, to sort of put away those old thought patterns and, you know, beliefs that I had before, and really shifted into who I was and started to realize who I really am. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. amazing. So amazing. And it must be so satisfying. You know, I talk about on this podcast too, you know, having heart based or heart centered businesses. And to me, that is, you know, if you have a service or product that is going to serve the higher good of other people, Mm -hmm. it's just so rewarding and so gratifying. And I can imagine that that's what you must experience too, when you're working with these clients and, you know, having these breakthroughs with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I mean, it is incredibly rewarding to witness women reconnect with themselves, right? And, And very much it's like, like a return home, right? After a long time away, um, after a difficult journey and actually coming home to yourself um, and recognizing that you have the capacity, you have everything in you already. And, you know, you can tackle hard things, whatever those things are, you can do it and you have everything you need already. And Mm -hmm. it's incredible to witness women rediscover that or remember that about themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so many times, and maybe even for yourself, 
you know, after your dad's passing and dealing with those hard feelings after you finally stepped into sobriety, that you don't realize how strong you are until you work through something and come to the other side of it. And you're still alive. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. You might have a few bruises, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know, you, you got through it. And that's something to be so proud of. Mm-hmm. And definitely something to celebrate. Right. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, so one thing I'd love to know is, you know, not everybody's, everybody's journey is different, mm-hmm. right? Everybody has their own path with sobriety. Um, and it's not always easy. And it's not always, you know, some people might have a very difficult time with it. Some people might have not as quite a difficult time with it, but I would love to know what are some of the triggers to make someone relapse once they've started their journey and then, you know, something's happened, maybe, you know, something's triggered them. You know, I know that triggers aren't the same for everybody. It looks different for everyone. Mm -hmm. But what are the some of, you know, are there any maybe main triggers or things that can make someone relapse? Uh, Yeah, I mean, as you say, and I think that this is a point worth stressing. Um, Sobriety, recovery, addiction, all of those things are highly individual experiences. So what your journey looked like probably is quite different, although probably we share some similarities, but quite different than mine. Um, So yeah, triggers are definitely different for everybody. But some of the triggers that I've noticed um, that have sort of been more common with a lot of my clients, uh, stress is definitely a huge one. Uh, Feelings of overwhelm, feelings of anxiety, um, often certain relationships in my clients' lives serve as triggers. So that could be a partner. It could be a partner who's also drinking um, when you are not drinking or trying to not drink. Sometimes that feels triggering. And often it's not even necessarily about the fact that the partner is physically drinking, but it's more about um, the perceived loss of connection to, to the partner and to what once was and feeling like that was lost and and can only be recreated through drinking, which I would challenge and push back on that as as not being accurate. But uh, that's something that comes up. Um, And then obviously, you know, big life events like the loss of a loved one or, you know, what's currently happening right now is highly stressful, very unknown. Um, a lot of my clients are parents and oftentimes the stresses that go along with being a parent, uh, can serve Mm -hmm. as a trigger. I I would put that broadly under stress though. Obviously it's specific, but, um, yeah. So, so those are, those are some of the, I would say more common triggers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see Uh that. I mean, some of the ones that you said, um, resonate with me mm-hmm. for sure. And especially right now, you know, we are in the moment of global pandemic. Mm-hmm. So everyone is mm-hmm. home, you know, we're, we're all home. I have my, you know, two beautiful kids downstairs, my husband, but it's not being able to get a break. Yeah. You know, from the, from a parent side of it, it's, 
you know, it's just, it is, it's, it's stressful. And I feel like, you know, we briefly chatted before um, we started the podcast that, you know, I was, again, speaking about right now during the pandemic and being home, you know, I think back to when or to before I started my sobriety journey and, you know, was living on my own, was in a new city. And that was probably the darkest time or one of, if not, you know, one of the most darkest times for me when I really struggled. Yeah. And I, and my heart truly, truly goes out to people now who may be on their own, who might not have, you know, be living with family or even a roommate who might be on their own and struggling. Mm -hmm. And that is not Mm -mm, it's not um yeah and I would add on a couple of uh additional triggers that came to mind boredom is one of them um uh, but loneliness is also a significant right. one and with the isolation that we're dealing with right now it's it's not a great scene um yeah connection is so 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 essential in sobriety mm -hmm. and recovery particularly in early sobriety and recovery um it can feel like a very lonely path and connecting with other people reaching out to other people um who have shared experiences shared lived experiences with you and can hear your story and hold your story and not judge it um is yes. such is so, so, so essential. Um, so yeah, I mean, my, my heart really goes out to the folks who are struggling because of isolation right now. And fortunately, we're also seeing a lot of things being moved online. So I know a lot of other coaches who do um, regular online meetings, everything AA is pretty much moved online. All of my services have always been online, so I'm continuing to support my clients in in those ways. And so I'm I'm grateful for technology, and I know it's not the same as you know sitting beside someone or looking someone directly in the eye. But I'm grateful for the fact that there are online options that continue to allow us to connect. Right, absolutely. And for anybody listening now, I will have Amy's. Uh contact information and some other resources Amy, maybe we can chat about and I can put some links mm -hmm. to to provide people with that and so I think one of like probably a recommendation and I know I've been doing it is you know trying to connect with people online and you know have FaceTime calls or have Zoom calls with a group of friends and and that kind of thing and I guess, reach out, like reach out to someone that you can trust if you're just really feeling that call and that, that pull to want to step back in and just to try and keep yourself out. Absolutely. And reaching out is actually um, a, a sign of resilience, right? And resilience is so important to you know build that up it's like a muscle it can be strengthened at any point in our lives and at any time and so reaching out is really really important right you're not alone you do not have to struggle alone there's always going to be somebody out there and if you don't have somebody out there I can be your somebody out there like reach out to me I'm always happy to connect and listen and even just hold space you know which is amazing. Thank you for what you do, by the way. <laughs> I love it so much. Incredible. I can't imagine doing anything oh. else. 
Right. And this, you know, again, for the women that I interview for this series, it's, you know, it's these women who have a passion and a desire to want to help in whatever way it Mm -hmm. is specific to them that they Mm -hmm. can. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you embody all of that. So again, thank you. Um, So next question. I mean, I know I want to ask it because I'm sure people are wondering why do some people relapse and some people do not. I mean, again, it comes back to everybody's path is different. How everyone works through things is different, but I'd love to hear, you know, what sort of insight or comments you have about why some people relapse and some people don't. Mm, That's a tricky one. Um, And I also think, mm, I feel like I almost want to add a bit of a caveat around the word relapse because there, and it's a word that I, I continue to use only because I haven't found another one that I would like to use more that sort of conveys the same thing. But um, the idea of relapse is really tricky because I think there's, you know, obviously we want to avoid doing that as much as possible. Um, and also when we don't avoid it, I feel like there's a lot of shame and embarrassment and guilt around that. Um, I am in a bunch of Facebook, uh, sober women's Facebook communities. And anytime somebody quote unquote relapses, there's just so much shame around it. And it's as though all the all the sober time that they've accumulated is out the window and, and all the lessons learned are gone and all that time is just vanished. And I just think that that's like not a helpful way of thinking about relapsing or thinking about slipping or whatever language you want to put around it. Um, I think relapse can be such a great opportunity for us to figure out where we need more healing. And I think that's really what it, what it's about, right. Which is sort of why some folks relapse and some folks don't. I think the really heavy lifting of sobriety and recovery comes after you stop drinking. It isn't just about not drinking. It's about looking to all the reasons that made you want to drink to begin with, right? It's usually avoidance. It's usually to manage things. It's usually um, adopted as a coping strategy that maybe worked for a while and then ended up becoming a huge problem. Um, So really, it's about shining a light on all the reasons why we were drinking in the first place, and then doing the work of, you know, self reflection and looking inward and figuring out what needs to be healed, as well as, you know, where we need to create change in our lives. Because like, again, not drinking isn't just about not drinking, it's about looking at other parts of our lives that are maybe keeping, excuse me, keeping us held in that habit of drinking and creating change to support where we want to go as opposed to where we have been. And so really, I think it's just about the healing piece um, and looking to what other areas in our life maybe need a little bit more love and a little bit more attention. Mm -hmm. I love Mm -hmm. how you put that, you know, figuring out what needs a little more healing. And I see that as, you know, when, and maybe as, as you were talking, I was thinking of what's another word for relapse. And I was thinking revisit. Mm. So if someone revisits Mm -hmm. their addiction, (laughs) um, you know, it 
could be the act of, you know, revisiting Mm -hmm. could be that catalyst that really propels them forward and makes them realize what it was or what it, you know, what the trigger was potentially. I mean, you know, maybe some people don't quite understand it, Um, but I can see how that would be, um, you know, a way or a vehicle to understand what that Mm -hmm. is for them. And it's such a journey. It doesn't no, overnight. No. Like not overnight, not overnight. So, you know, we know that all journeys mm-hmm. look differently. And but I guess as a general picture, is the process you recognize you have an issue, you decide to quit, and then you're healed. Or is it a lifelong journey? Uh, I would say maybe somewhere between those two things. So I think, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I should say very broadly, I think we're all on a lifelong journey, right? Just, you know, right. sobriety yeah. and recovery aside, I think we're all on a process of, again, coming home to ourselves and, and really like mm-hmm. learning who we are and what our purpose is and connecting with other people in authentic ways and showing up and fully expressing ourselves and all of that stuff. But I think... Um, yeah, I, I, I think sobriety and recovery is not always linear. It's, it's certainly not always, uh, as clear cut as recognizing there's an issue, deciding to quit and then being healed. Uh, I think a lot goes into it. Um, and I think we, we get to decide if, if this is something that we want to, deal with for the rest of our lives. And what I mean by that is, um, so for example, the common or, you know, dominant narrative around addiction is that it is a uh, disease of the brain. Um, And once you um, struggle with addiction, it's kind of a lifelong struggle, it will be something that you'll have to deal with day in and day out. And it's, you know, basically, you're always living under the fear of relapse. So you need to be very diligent and vigilant with yourself um, around your addiction. And there's, you know, the struggle is real. And for, for the folks who identify with the brain disease model of addiction or understanding addiction as a disease, and if that works for you, great, keep doing it. But for myself, as somebody who did struggle with addiction for such a long time, it never resonated with me. And I never liked the idea that I was quote unquote diseased or sick or ill because I struggled with this thing. And I also didn't like the idea that it would be this like lifelong struggle that I would have to fight for my survival every single day. And I could never slip and I could never, you know, I would, I would have to be super diligent about it every single day. And to me, that sounded very much reminiscent of the struggle of actually being in active addiction. Um, and I didn't right. like that. And, and what I wanted to find for myself in sobriety was freedom. And so for me, yeah, I, I think about it often, but every single day is not a struggle. Um, I have crafted a life for myself now and I've done the work in terms of habits and in terms of mindset. And of course, these things continue to evolve, but 
I've done the work where I'm at a place now where I, I, I know that I never needed alcohol to begin with. And so I'm, I'm so clear on what alcohol is and that it will never serve a role in my life ever again. So getting to that place has been for me finding my freedom. And with the clarity that I have on that, there is no temptation. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not secretly wanting it. It's just like this thing that is poison and it's highly toxic and terrible for us to put in our bodies. And I can't understand why I did it for so long. And I don't have any interest in going back to it. And so for me, that feels a lot more like freedom than struggling with it every single day for the rest of my life. Right. And I love that insight. I love that. And I would say that personally, that mirrors mm -hmm. how I feel, mm -hmm. you know, it's, um, it just, it resonates really, yeah. really deeply for me. And when you talk about, you know, being clear now and, you know, understanding and, and not needing mm -hmm. that for your life, like that clarity mm -hmm. is and it's it's really been empowering as well right it it has yeah. put the choice squarely in my hands and um yeah there's just there's just no need for it and again i just want to really be clear like if the disease model of addiction works for you keep keep doing it right whatever right. serves to empower you keep doing it and for me, it didn't feel empowering. And so I sought out other options and fortunately kind of created my own, my own option. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's a big part of the work that I'm doing is really changing narratives and language around addiction. Um, and I think that mm -hmm. that's, that's part of it because even, even if it does work for a lot of people, it's not going to work for everybody. And so it's really about having other options that feel good for you. And so that's, you know, what I've yeah. been creating for myself and for others. Well, and I think that's so, so, so important because, you know, one of the other reasons why I wanted to have you on is, you know, because, I mean, I love what you're doing. Like, it's just, again, it's, it's heart, it's a heart-centered offering and you're, you're helping other women on their journey. And I think, I don't know if I just sort of thought it as you were talking at this event when we connected a few months back, or if I actually told you, but you know, you were the first woman that I could relate with what you were saying, you know, what you were doing, what you were offering. And I was like, she is my people. <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> because, you know, A, as a female, you know, I will be, uh, I'll be 40 this year. So I'm kind of, you know, not still in my twenties, not a younger female, not an older female, but I'm, I'm mm -hmm. kind of in the middle. Right. And don't know anyone that has been, or don't know anyone that has shared it anyway, uh, who I can relate with and mm -hmm. who is a mom, you know, so then there's sort of mom mm -hmm. guilt and shame, uh, packed on top of that. I'm a wife, you know, so I have, you know, there's all of these different aspects. And then when I think about having an addiction on top of that or being on my sobriety journey, it's like, okay, well, what so much of society is saying 
makes me really <laughs> feel awful, like more awful and shameful than I, yep. than I already do. Um, and you know, there is just no, like you said, chari- changing mm-hmm. the narrative. There needs to be more of that because we had chatted offline before about, um, you know, a, a women's empowerment event around addiction mm-hmm. and recovery. And, you know, because I'm, and I think the work you're doing is so amazing because you are changing that narrative and you're not making it feel shameful and you're not making it feel terrible and icky and, you know, being able to be a woman and have Mm -hmm. it be okay, you know, have it be okay to talk about, and you're not going to judge me because of it. And so I guess it's kind of like a long winded um, rant I'm going on, but you know, again, when you say do what works for you, Mm -hmm. nobody's path is the same. So if the disease model works for you, yeah, a hundred percent, like if that's working, don't break it. And it wasn't something Mm -hmm. I resonated with. So for the people maybe that don't, that resonate with certain things and not other things, at least there's more option and there's more discussion going on. Absolutely. Yep. Um, And really it's just, it's options, right? Because like there's, and we know this in life, in any part of life, there is no one size fits all model that works for everybody. Everyone's lives are so unique and individualized and different. And so to assume that, you know, recovery would be a one size fits all, fits all model is obviously flawed. So it's really just about finding what works for you. And if you are um, looking to enter sobriety and sustain it, and you haven't found what works for you, keep looking because there are so many options out there. Um, and I know that you will find something that works for you. And I know it can be a little bit um, of an exhausting process, but keep going because there are options out there and you will find what works for you. Right, absolutely. And I found a great resource is just you know, if you are on social media, you know, Instagram or Facebook, like, and you had said you're, mm-hmm. you're part of a bunch of Facebook groups, like all of my, um, how would I call it? All of my sobriety connections or however you want to term it. Yeah. Are yeah. all online. Yep. All of them. I've made friends. I'm in groups. So there is something to be said for the connection that we can make through social media. And that is my, like, that is my mm-hmm. sobriety community. It's all yep. online. Same. And in the early days for me, um, and I've been sober, I think about three years and eight months at this point. Um, thank you. Um, even in that short period <laughs> of time, so much has changed. Um, there were already, you know, mm-hmm. some recovery options out there, um, but things have really flourished in the last several years. And I, you know, AA, I tried AA, it wasn't really for me. Um, and so I looked online, I looked to other sober women who were doing the work and showing up and being authentic and vulnerable and sharing their stories. And that was really helpful in the early days for me, because I didn't have a lot of friends who were sober. And in the really early days, only a handful of people in my life knew what I was even doing. It wasn't until I was like six months sober or so that I even really started to talk about it. 
Um, so, yeah. you know, following yeah. people online is a really great way to get that inspiration and to get that sense of what's possible for you without necessarily having to put yourself out there, which can feel safe, right? Um, and reassuring. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One thing that I've learned is that, you know, over the years, and I guess more recently, like I'll say within the past year, I realized that, mm. you know, I'm a sharer. I, I share my life. I share what's going on. But over time, it's not that it backfired on me. It's just, I guess I, I realized some relationships meant more or I thought meant more than others because mm -hmm. I shared so much. So, you know, what I realized is that for me to share information about myself with those that I know can hold the truth mm -hmm. and not judge me for it. And I remember one person I had reached out to um, in my family, I shared, you know, that I had a, mm -hmm. I had an addiction to alcohol and, you know, had, was in my early days of, of quitting and Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that must have felt yeah. terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it did. You know, it was at that point that I realized for me and, you know, I, and I'm sharing this because not everyone has, you know, even one person yeah. in their life that they can share this with, but to know that there is a community out there, you know, if you can find, you know, a sobriety or a sober community online with groups that is who yeah. I shared my stuff with because I knew they weren't going to judge me. I knew they were not going to make me feel shamed or insecure, you know, about it. And that it's so important to find the people that can absolutely that truth for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a life changer for, and a life for um, a lot of people. So, mm -hmm. oh, Absolutely. Well, it's part of your journey. And, you know, for me, you have to, t or I, I will say, mm -hmm. me, I, I have to talk about it. You know, you do have to just be able to, to talk it through, you know, to have conversations with people or even say, oh my God, I'm feeling shitty today. Yeah. How are you feeling? And to be able to talk with someone who can, who can um, Absolutely. understand what you're going through like something that is relatable. So that's so important. Um, so one of the final questions that I have for you, and I will say that in my early days, mm -hmm. I really felt like I was broken. You know, I really felt like, why do I feel like this? Like, why can't I just drink normally like other people? Like there is obviously something wrong with me, obviously. So, I mean, I know the answer for this myself because of the work that I've done, but I would love to know what your thought about the word broken is because in my, the beginning of my journey, I felt like I was broken. Like there was something wrong with me. So if you have worked with people or even your own thoughts around the word broken, what, what would you say to that, to that word? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting because I, I hear it a lot and I hear a lot, um, around people really taking it on, 
um, themselves as though addiction is a personal failing or as though their capacity to not be able to drink um, and process alcohol, quote unquote, normally is is something it means that they're not like doing something well or successfully enough. Um, and for me, the term broken feels really unhelpful and untrue. I wholeheartedly believe that we are whole, complete beings exactly as we are. And again, that we have everything that we need within us to create change if we want change in our lives. I think that the broken narrative or the narrative around us being flawed, again, for not being able to like process poison well in our bodies and in our lives speaks, I think, more broadly to the narrative. And this is part of the reason why I don't use or love the word alcoholic. It takes alcohol as a highly addictive, highly toxic, poisonous substance. And Mm -hmm. instead of identifying alcohol for what it is, it puts the problem onto us, right? It puts the problem onto us. Something's wrong with us because we can't drink, quote unquote, normally, or like other people. Or we take on the term alcoholic as an identity and as a label, even though addiction is is not you know alcohol is is the problem it's not us that are the problem like we don't say for somebody who's addicted to heroin we don't say oh that's a heroinaholic or somebody who smokes cigarettes that they're a cigaretteaholic right like mm-hmm. i think i think it's like a deeply flawed way of making it feel like we're the ones to blame when actually we're talking about a highly poisonous, highly addictive substance that is addictive by nature. Um, So I think, again, like it all kind of ties into the same narrative around us being flawed or us being broken. And I think it's not helpful and it's not empowering. And if we're coming from a place of wanting to create change in our lives, it we need to we need to come at that from a place of feeling empowered, I think, if we are interested in actually creating and sustaining change. Totally agree with that. And that's why it's so important to have these discussions for, and you to do the work that you're doing mm-hmm. because you're changing that. You're helping to change the way we talk about it and the way, you know, people identify with it and, and what that means. And I just think that it is so important. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. So my last and final question, and one that I always love to ask uh, when I interview is, you know, business aside or everything aside, what does getting closer to your soul mean to you? Mm, That's such a good question. (laughs) Um, Well, I, I would say kind of similar to what I said earlier and and this is just my own experiences with sobriety and you know being somebody who's always in a place of growth and learning and you know doing personal development work and mindset work i think it's just it's a return home it's a return to our true authentic selves and you know when we get rid of all of the frills and the distractions who we are at our essence and 
the purpose that we have here on this earth and really reconnecting to that and knowing that and owning that and loving that. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> love asking this question, you know, because part of what I do and, you know, part of sort of, you know, being this heart centered and heart based business is that I have been able to meet so many people who are on their own personal path you know, of, of discovery and personal growth, and they have somehow, you know, integrated and weave that into their business and what they offer. And this question just makes me feel like, I just love it. I just love hearing people's answers. So thank you for sharing that. That was beautifully put. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. <laughs> um, so I am going to chat with you after and we'll talk about some additional resources and links that maybe I can include uh -huh. um, for anybody listening now who would like to work with Amy or connect with her ask her some questions anything like that I will have her link so that you can connect with her after and we will also discuss some additional links of maybe support and other resources that you might find helpful. So I want to thank you again so much, Amy, for being on today. It was such a pleasure to have you. And I feel like I can talk about this topic for hours. So maybe we will do it again. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And uh, thank you so much for the invitation. It was so great chatting with you as per usual. And uh, yeah, I too feel like we could talk about this for hours. And there's lots of different directions to go with it. So I would love to chat again. If you are, if yeah. you're open to that and if you think your community would benefit from it. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Like I said, the narrative needs to change. So, you know, that was, uh, that was really why I wanted to have your beautiful soul on today to share some of that with, uh, with the listeners. So on that note, I will sign off today. I hope everyone found that helpful, found it enjoyable. Please share this podcast with anyone that you might think could benefit. So thank you again, and we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're ready to take the next step in offering your gifts to the world, then I would love to hear from you. Reach out and contact me at www.com.